Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather, and now under our second YouTube channel reserved specifically for content from the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, our new YouTube channel, the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. My co-host Chris Yanes is on with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Chris Bits. Three Gator coaches have departed the program in recent days out of nowhere. Defensive coordinator Patrick Tony, tight ends coach William Piegler, and wide receivers coach Kiri Colbert all decided that they would like to go on to the NFL. We'll talk about all that momentarily, but first, quick word about our sponsor slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. All expenses paid. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Of course, as always, donations are very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a much better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather as they produced our new logo and our new website and the new Gator Collective website and the new Gator Collective logo and the Gator Good Foundation website. And they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club, and they've still got more Gator-related projects coming up over the horizon. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need assistance in any of the aforementioned area for your company or business, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Now, with that said, Chris, let's get right into it. Um, I'm not really surprised by the fact that Florida has to replace three assistant coaches this offseason. I am surprised by the timing of it, though. I think a lot of us kind of thought there would be some staff turnover this offseason, but December came and went, January came and went, and then most of February came and went. And when we all went to bed on Tuesday, February 21st, our coaching staff was still completely intact as it was at the end of last year. And I think at that point, we all thought it would just stay that way. Now here we are late on Thursday, y'all here this Friday morning, all of a sudden we have three staff vacancies to fill. So we'll talk about each one individually in a second, but first big picture spring practice is just a couple weeks away. What do you make of the timing of all this? Yeah, I think in a, in a perfect world, we would have loved for these changes to occur earlier, preferably right after the signing day period. And of course, the signing day period now is a little bit weird because early signing day is, is a lot more important than February. Traditionally, a lot of these moves would happen after the early signing day in February. Uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, the traditional one in February. But it, nonetheless, I think that it's not, I guess, surprising in the sense that a lot more college coaches are making starting to make the move to the NFL. 
right? We've seen Brian Johnson make that move uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles, and he is reportedly going to be the next offensive coordinator after being in the NFL for a few years. And now we're seeing guys like uh, Coach Kerry Colbert, uh, Patrick Toney, and William Peagle are making the move to the NFL. The, the college game is a very demanding uh, job now, especially with the advent of NIL and recruiting. NFL, while it does have its high-pressure stakes to win and win quickly, it doesn't come with the loaded pressure of all the hours and the extra work that you have to put in in the college game. So I think now that the NFL offseason has been kind of pushed to a, a later starting date now that the Super Bowl is in the second week of February, some of these coaching moves I think are going to start happening at this time. Uh, we're going to see other Power 5 schools start to be affected by it, and Florida just happens to be one of the first ones to see it. It's always Florida who's the first to feel it, right? Florida was supposedly the one who made the first NIL blunder with Jaden Rashada. Now Florida is the first one to feel the effects of the NFL's uh, prolonged season and later Super Bowl than usual. But, uh, yeah, I mean, something's going to have to be done right now. Florida's got three staff vacancies, and you, you know we can talk about – the timing of it being unfortunate for Florida. We can talk about how summer addition by subtraction, even maybe we'll get to that in a second, but it's still work that Billy Napier has to now go out and do that. He didn't necessarily think he would have to do maybe that long ago. One of his moves, I will say has already seemed like it's been made. So maybe he was more prepared than I'm giving him credit for now, but he should be thinking about spring practice. He should be thinking about the install period of spring practice and getting the players more familiar with the playbook, especially the new guys. He should be thinking more about what he's going to do with the few weeks he's allotted for spring practice. And now he has work to do in filling out his staff. So it all started overnight between Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. News started leaking out that defensive coordinator Patrick Tony was leaving for the Arizona Cardinals. And Chris, I'm kind of torn between two takes on this one. On the one hand, Tony was the defensive coordinator for the single worst Florida defense since the Japanese surrender at the end of World War II. On the other hand, he was overseeing a major scheme change with a lot of players who weren't his. And now this year, he was going to have a lot more continuity on his depth chart, a lot of returning pieces, a lot of veterans who'd been through the grind before with the playbook, which does typically lead to a massive improvement. And speaking of, he did oversee a massive improvement from year one to year two of running his own defense the last time he was under Billy Napier. I know that's Louisiana, and this is the SEC. This is Florida. It's a little different. I get it. But... There is a precedent of him overseeing the kinds of improvement the Florida fans are expecting to see in his second year, which is obviously now not going to happen. So I don't know. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing that we don't have Patrick Tony anymore? I'm kind of in the middle on this one. I think, as we mentioned, we've had three departures, and I have three different feelings about each one on the spectrum. So starting off with the defensive coordinator and the departure of Patrick Tony, I'm, I'm honestly kind of in the middle. I think it would have been nice to see the continuity of another as your defensive coordinator to stay and to and to be with the guys that he started to recruit and and the, have the players remain on the defense and start that he liked. And I think there are a lot of good components to this defense coming up this season where I would have liked to have seen his scheme. However, as we've seen Coach Austin Armstrong is coming in, if that is the case, then the scheme isn't really going to change from year one to year two. It's just the defensive coordinator and who's calling the plays will. So scheme-wise, I think we're going to be okay. 
Uh, it's just a little uh, – it is a little weird to lose your defense coordinator this late in the game, right before spring practice. We don't know if and when Coach Armstrong is going to get to campus and start installing his defense in the spring periods. Hopefully it happens very quickly here. I'd imagine it would. I think, uh, you know, as a CEO of a, of a college football program like Coach Napier is, he's going to have to walk and chew gum at the same time. He's going to have to hire coaches, and he's going to have to get ready for spring practice. And that's what he was hired to do and has paid $7 million a year to do it at Florida. So I think that as far as Patrick Tony, this is a I'm kind of on a scale of one to ten, I'm a five on how upset I am about it. I, I'm really truly in the middle of this whole thing. I would have liked to have seen him continue on and maybe see, maybe have come back and get some vindication because I, I mean I definitely think that I know I defended him at times throughout the year saying this wasn't these weren't his guys and I would have loved to have seen him one more year to prove that right. But you know I think that who's potentially coming in could actually be somewhat of an upgrade based on what we're hearing in the college football ranks. Yeah. I mean, definitely have to make a, a very strong point that it's not definite. It's not final. It's not official that Austin Armstrong is the guy that was just the report that was kind of leaking out from a couple of different places. So typically when you have different people who work for different outlets and under different organizations or different umbrellas reporting the same thing, more often than not, the information is going to be reliable. And I have been hearing that he does seem to be the favorite to land the job from a couple people close to the program. Nothing official, but it does it does feel like that's going to be the move. But as, as for Tony and is it good or bad? I I mean, typically it, it's smarter to wait until you have some data in a coach's second season to start judging him. It was a scheme change. He was dealing mostly with Mullen players. Then again, on the other hand, there have been scheme changes before in the history of the Florida Gator football program. Florida has changed head coaches before. Florida has changed defensive coordinators before. Florida has changed defensive schemes before. From Zook to Meyer, Meyer to Muschamp, Muschamp to McIlwain, McIlwain to Mullen. I mean, every time... There was a coaching turnover. Florida had to install a new type of defense with a new voice. And in none of those situations did Florida even come close to a defense that was outside the top 100 of the FPS in total defense, which Florida was heading into the bowl game. Uh, you know, crazy thing. The bowl game actually helped the defense in that aspect and brought its ranking up to 99th since Oregon State just sat on the ball for most of the second half. But anyway, Tony was the DC and he does have to take some blame for that. Uh, players missed tackles and you know that's not his fault. Players, you know, did fall down a couple times. That's not his fault. Florida played off of its corners a lot and gave huge cushions. Maybe you can say that's because the staff didn't trust those corners in press coverage because at Louisiana, there's a ton of film of Tony having his guys play bump and run. So maybe you could say, well, if Tony does deploy a lot of press coverage, a lot of jams at the line, maybe that's just going to get his guys fried more in the secondary. So maybe that was, you know, him thinking through things and not him being incompetent. I don't know. We'll never know. But at the end of the day, he was the DC for the single worst defense Florida's had since World War II. Now, the fix, I think, for that is not going to be a change of scheme because, you know, players already know it and they've been in that scheme for a year. Why change it again and make it more difficult for them? And we know that because Tony's replacement, as we've been talking about, appears to be a guy who is of that same scheme in Armstrong. He was the youngest DC in the country a year ago at Southern Miss and the Eagles did very well. He 
he had them in the top 10 of several different statistical categories. He had them force 22 turnovers. They finished 42nd in the country in total defense. He then left to become the linebacker coach at Alabama. He's there for 10 days. And then again, reportedly hired by Billy Napier after being there for 10 days. Uh, he did start his career as a GA with Napier at Louisiana. So he's got some familiarity with that scheme wise, but anyway, Yes, it's going to involve a new playbook and a new system technically because it's a new voice and every every new DC is going to have his own way of doing things. But I imagine it wouldn't change too drastically if that is indeed the hire. So that's Tony. Now he's going to be joined in Arizona by William Piegler, who was Florida's tight ends coach last year. That's departure number two. Chris, what do you make of this one? So how I said I was in the middle on Patrick Tony. I'm on the, this is an addition by subtraction with William Piegler. I don't really think William Piegler made a, a, much of an impact at all on this room. The tight end recruiting was probably one of the worst that I'd seen in a long time at the University of Florida. And I, honestly, I, it, was a, it was a perplexing hire when it happened. A lot of people didn't know who he was. So I'm, I'm not upset about this. And I think this is an opportunity for Napier to actually remake and reimagine his offensive staff. We'll see what he chooses to do. And as we know, we're going to be replacing two offensive assistants now. But I think this is an opportunity to get creative and potentially improve the offensive staff and the recruiting for that matter. So I'm, to me, this is a, I'm a one out of 10 on this one. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, I'm actually I think this is an addition by subtraction move. So it's really hard for me to evaluate the job he did at Florida because the guy who was supposed to be tight end number one was hurt with Keon Zipper. The guy who was supposed to be his promising backup and Nick Elksness was also hurt. And the guy who wound up being the number one tight end, Dante Sanders, is a converted defensive end. And if you remember, Piegler wasn't ever supposed to be a tight ends coach. Florida took him away from Michigan State. He was the running backs coach there. The only tight end coaching experience he'd ever had was one year at Valdosta State in, I think, 2010. And, I mean, I'm not knocking the guy's knowledge of the game. That's just saying that he always, to your point, Chris, kind of felt like a square peg in a round hole kind of higher from the jump. It felt like just filling out a position to fill out a position. Oh, he happens to be good at recruiting? Okay, cool. He's got a nice recruiting pedigree. Oh, what's that? Oh, at Michigan State, he recruited some good. Oh, okay, okay, I like that. Yeah, screw it. Bring him in and let's see how he does. Kind of a hire. So, you know, okay, fine. I, I don't hate bringing in guys because they're great recruiters, supposedly. Um, But he doesn't really have that monster pedigree of, de of developing tight ends that, I mean, in, in recent history of a Florida tight end coach like Tim Brewster, and Larry Scott had so would have liked to have kept him only for continuity purposes. Don't really see any other drawbacks to losing him. So if we're going to do that one out of 10 scale, I'd probably say three and a half, but also with a, with a, with a question mark beside it with an incomplete, because I don't know what happens if Keon zipper and Nick Elkins are both at full strength. It may not have been any different, but we don't know. So I'm just going to leave a question mark there. Um, but overall, can't be too upset about this one. Then there's the big one. Then there's the one that really does sting. And I think this is the one that triggered a lot of the meltdown from the fans and the media alike. Uh, Patrick Tony, all right, fine. Worst defense since World War II, whatever. William Piegler, okay, tight ends didn't do anything anyway. So no big deal. Kiri Colbert is not in the same vein as the other two. So 
I'll, I'll let you go first. Chris, how big of a blow do you think this one is to lose him to the, Den- to the Denver Broncos? So this is my 10, right? This is my 10. This is the one that I'm really, like you alluded to, is a big deal. Kerry Colbert was probably, I think, the best recruiter on staff this cycle. I mean, the receiver class that he brought in, it w- was incredible. And, and, and also not just the, the recruiting ability, but also the scouting ability, identifying a guy like Andy Jean early in the cycle and, and getting him who I think a lot of us believe is a diamond in the rough and already is starting to turn heads before spring practice has even begun. Uh, and, and he did a good job coaching up that that room last year and getting guys like Ricky Pearsall to have one of the best years of his college career. So I think that this is a big loss for the staff, and Napier is going to have to try his best to get a one-for-one here. Uh, and there's a lot of names starting to float out there. Uh, you know, there's guys like on staff, uh, David Decker, uh, who's the assistant receivers coach. A lot of believe he's a rising star in the in the the coaching ranks. And, you know, some people also believe he had a lot to do with the recruiting wins that Kerry Colbert was responsible for. Uh, so if he ends up being, you know, a, a promoted hire within staff, I wouldn't be upset about it. Although a lot of fans are starting to mention names like former head coach Jeff Scott at USF. Um I've even seen Ike Hilliard as a name thrown around as somebody people would like to bring home. Even seen guys start bringing up Dallas Baker. But I definitely think that Napier is going to have to get a splash hire here because Kerry Colbert was one of the best, um, uh, kind of the surprising, one of the more surprising hires when he first came to Florida, but a very welcomed one who has an incredible NFL pedigree. It's no surprise that he's now headed back to the NFL. Yeah, th- this is this is a huge deal. This is a massive, massive loss for Florida. Not going to do the the two four seven sports thing and say that coaches are bailing. Not going to say it's rats leaving the sinking ship. Not going to say it's the house of cards. Not going to you know. Not going to do any of that. And I'm not saying Florida cannot replace him, but this one stings. This one is really, really, really painful for Florida because Colbert is. Colbert checks both the great boxes. He's both a great developer of talent and he's a great recruiter. He's got both of those massive boxes checked in a big way. The the big one that I I always go back to when I'm talking about how great of a coach he is, is Amon Ross St. Brown at USC. He's the one who had everything to do with his development there, uh, which happens to be his alma mater. Ricky Pearsall, as you mentioned, I, I think Justin Shorter got a little bit better this year. It's hard to really know because of the of the change of QB, but it, it seemed like he was taking steps with his route running. Uh, definitely good to see guys like Caleb Douglas step up late in the year and deliver some big-time catches. He's gone now, but Dejon Reynolds stepped up late in the year and made some big plays. Got to at least give Colbert an assist on that. And the guy that recruited all three receivers for Florida in this last class, Eugene Wilson, Andy Jean, Aiden Mizell, and the guy that was supposed to work with them, you know, his handpicked guys on all the things they needed to work on. They're talented, but they have some things they could improve on. They're raw. That that's gone. He's gone. He's not going to get the chance to coach the guys that he himself handpicked on the trail. And that sucks. And it's not going to be easy to replace. Him. I mean, I'm I've been trying to, you know, keep the fan base as you know, as calm as, as it can be when you lose three coaches in two days, but I can't sugarcoat that. That's that's a painful loss for Florida. Now, as in terms of who we're going to get to replace him, I think Jeff Scott is out. I I don't I don't think he wants to come to Florida. I don't think he has any interest in it. Um, 
I, I don't know that he would want to go from being a head coach to being a position coach that quickly. Maybe if a, a school like Alabama or Georgia offered him that just won a national title offered him, maybe he'd do that. But I think he wants to be a coordinator or a head coach. So I don't think he's going to be in the running. Ike Hilliard, I think, is the one that everyone's talking about that does have a chance to, to be the guy. Uh, obviously, Florida legend, wide receiver, national champion, played a long time in the pros for my New York Giants. So one of the very few Florida Gators I can actually say I remember more for their pro career than their college career. Uh, of course, Gator fans came to know him for that stop and pop on that national championship win against FSU, 52-20. Uh, in the seven, in the 97 Sugar Bowl. And he spent last year in 22 as a receivers coach at Auburn. So he's got some coaching experience at the SEC level in his background. And I think that's the key to notate with him. It's not just, oh, he was a great receiver for Florida back in the day, bring him home. It's not like, it's not like a Tim Tebow situation where people like when Brian Johnson left, people were saying, oh, bring Tim Tebow back as a QB coach when he doesn't have that experience in his background. It's not like saying, uh, oh, bring Emmett Smith to coach the running backs. And when when fans wanted to fire Greg Knox back uh, in, in 20 or 21, I think it was. So, no, he's got SEC experience coaching that that position that I think makes him a very appealing hire for Florida. And he's not currently doing anything because Hugh Freeze did not retain him in Auburn. So, uh, Chris, I think... Uh, is, is, is there anyone else that you got on your board to replace him? You, you mentioned Dallas Baker, but I mean, you, you're talking about you, you got to make a splash hire. So we, we got to think big for this hire. So is there anyone else that's on your mind for this? You know, I mean, maybe if there's a way to convince Juwan Sider to come home, I know he, there was a thought back last year. Uh, he didn't want to coach tight ends. He, he's not a tight ends coach, but maybe he'd be open to coaching receivers if given an expanded offensive role. And that's and that's what I'm saying. I said earlier, and this is an opportunity, I think, for Napier to remake his offensive staff and get a little more creative with the, with the duties. You know, perhaps you give a guy a receiver coach title. And even if you're not ready to give up the OC or the play calling duties, maybe you have passing game coordinator or something like that. You assign more responsibility to that assistant coach. They have more input in the game plan, even to maybe potentially play calling, even though Napier would still remain the, the main play caller, the play caller of the offense. I, I think that that's how you maybe allure somebody like a Jeff Scott, give them an opportunity to prove themselves again at the SEC level if they ever want to get back to you know another shot at a head coaching gig again. Uh, I think that, I Killier, Dallas Baker, those are more nostalgic hires. You know, I Killier was at Auburn, so he's got the SEC coaching experience. Dallas Baker, more so the group of five, but he has proven himself. Or I, I think he's actually at Baylor now, if I'm not mistaken. He's at Baylor, so he's made it to the Power Five. But, you know, I think those would be hires that make the fan base happy because they are, you know, Florida Gator legends. They're national champions. They were great players on those teams, respectively, in 06 and 96. So... If, if those are the guys, I would be happy. I think that it's kind of like a Mike Peterson hire in a way, right? You bring back a legend, potentially somebody that could sell the logo, sell the brand, is going to be really happy to rep it and would be here a long time. That's the other thing. If you want continuity on the staff, you got to hire guys that are willing to stay here. I think that when you bring a guy like Kerry Colbert in, you should have known that he was going to be a hot commodity potentially for the NFL given his background. And Jeff Scott would be the same thing. Jeff Scott, if he proves himself, I think would be somebody that wants to take that next step up and get a promotion quickly. So if you do make a splash hire, that's fine, but be prepared for them to walk away. So there's, I guess, maybe the more safe, happy hires that the fan base will be satisfied with, and like in a Dallas Baker or an Ike Hilliard 
or you try to make a splash with like a Jeff Scott, maybe a Juwan Sider. Sider could be the home run, though, if you were to convince him to come home in some way, because I, I, he, I think he wants to come back to the state of Florida. A lot of people have alluded to that on Twitter and uh, various other media outlets. Um, and he's just waiting for the right opportunity to do so. Uh, and maybe the timing with his family and, and where they are in high school. But we just kind of have to wait and see what, what Napier decides to do. I mean, if you're if you're talking about the ultimate splash hire, and there's all kinds of reasons why this is wrong, you just touched on them all. But if you're, if you're talking about making the biggest splash possible, go after Joe Brady, who's now the QB coach for the Bills, and have him coach the receivers the way he did at LSU, and have him take over the passing game the way he did at LSU. I don't know what the deal was with him in Carolina. Something, some something smelled fishy there. Why that didn't work? I don't know that he is anywhere near as hot of a commodity in the NFL as he was when he first left LSU to go to the pros. But it feels like if you were to go and just offer him the world, he'd listen. I'm not saying he'd take it because he's working with Josh Allen and a super high powered offense in Buffalo. But I think if you were to offer him enough money and just tell him like, Hey, here are all the perks you're going to have. You're going to have the keys to this offense. Go do what you want to do give yourself the opportunity to re-boost your stock to that point where it was after that 2019 LSU season, I, I think he'd listen. And, you know, that's that's all we can ask for because that's a massive, massive get if we do get him. And I think he could benefit from it as well. I think his stock has taken a bit of a hit and he could use the opportunity to sort of rehabilitate himself or at least rehabilitate his stock. I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I think he's an example of, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, how a lot of guys are just kind of phasing out of the college game. It's a tough gig now to be in college. And he always, I think, struck a lot of people as somebody that took his opportunity at LSU, had one great moment, struck lightning in a bottle with that team in, tw- in 2019, and then bolted to the NFL. I think he always kind of had his sights on the NFL. So I'd be very shocked if he ever... Uh, comes back to the college game anytime soon. And and like you mentioned, the ability to coach a consensus top five NFL quarterback right now in Josh Allen, a team that's going to be a contender year in and year out as long as he's the quarterback there in Buffalo. I, I, I don't see the reason to leave because if, if, let's say, Ken Dorsey, who's the offensive coordinator, leaves, he in theory would be in line to become the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, who then that's your opportunity to become a head coach in the NFL. Similar track that Brian Johnson, I think, is on right now in Philadelphia. He's quarterback's coach. Now he's probably going to be promoted to offensive coordinator in Philly. And then if he does well with Jalen Hurts, has an opportunity to become a head coach in the NFL. So I think that a lot of – I think right now, in all likelihood – my prediction is that we either promote David Decker or we hire Ikeliard. I, I think that's the most likely scenario. I put it at 75, 80% chance that it happens. And if it does, I don't think it's a bad hire. It's just not a splash hire, which as I think a lot of people have just kind of come to know and expect of Billy Napier right now. The biggest splash hire Billy Napier made was luring away uh, Coach Corey Raymond from LSU to Florida. Which many people I don't think are talking about this now will likely coach the entire secondary because before he was just coaching DBs now also will probably coach safeties because Patrick Tony was coaching safeties as well. Yeah, no, I mean those are all good points. Like I said, I don't think it's especially likely that the Florida goes even an attempt to get Joe Brady. I'm just saying that 
his stock has taken a massive blow from where it was a couple of years ago. And he, he might be willing to look at Florida as the opportunity to do to his stock what he did with it in 2019 at LSU. I think he might be looking for that opportunity to re-loft it up to the stratosphere where it was and after one year get himself another offensive coordinator job at the NFL like he got with the Panthers. I don't think that he's going to be a quarterback's coach forever. So I think if if you're going to make him the offer of, you know, co-OC, you know, passing game coordinator at Florida, that could entice him. And if you remind him of what happened the last time he took such a job in the SEC, I think he'd be intrigued. Like I said, I don't think that's ultimately what happens. And like you said, if you do get him, if you do make any splash hire for that matter, he's probably not going to be here for more than a year, at most two years. So that's not going to help for continuity. Like you also said, I think the move is going to be one of promoting David Decker or Ike Hilliard. If there's a third option, maybe Dallas Baker. I'm not seeing Jeff Scott. I, I just I don't think he has any interest in, in taking that big of a step down, even to go to a program like Florida. I'm just not seeing it. And I will say about David Decker that he is a rising star, to your point. So if that is ultimately what Florida does, I don't think it's going to be that that square peg in the round hole kind of deal that I, I think – I think the best example of that is is Bush Hampton back in the day. You remember that? Uh, I don't. I don't think it's going to be of that nature because Decker is. Uh, he actually just got named to the thirty under thirty list for the National Our Coaching Community Organization. That's the name of it. It's called Our Coaching Community. That's that's its name. And he got he got named to the the thirty under thirty list. And just today, Kerry Colbert gave him his endorsement for it. So. I wouldn't be upset with that because he does have the hand in the recruitment of Aiden Mizell, Andy Jean, and Eugene Wilson. He has worked at Florida. He has worked under Colbert. He is his understudy, so to speak, at that wide receiver coach position. So continuity, check. Uh, recruiting, check. You know, rising star, check. Could be here for more than a year or two, check. Yeah. Maybe he's here for three or four years before he gets his you know coordinator job or so. So I uh, not would not hate that probably has a hand in the 2024 guys that we're already recruiting for the next yeah, class. Sure. Oh, and that goes to your point of continuity, but, and, and one more point I'll make too. And a lot of people I think get upset at Napier for not going out and making a splash higher. What Napier's strategy seems to be is he goes after the young up and coming guy who's looking to prove themselves. So like you look at a guy like Austin Armstrong, young up-and-coming coach, was one of the youngest co coaches ever to be named defensive coordinator. I think he was 27 years old, and he was already coaching a defense at the group of five level Division One football and actually did improve Southern Miss's defense considerably from the year before he was there. And, and, and some of the categories that I was impressed with was turnovers, force, like interceptions, force fumbles, tackles for loss, as well as sacks. And uh, if you have an opportunity, there's some clips floating out there. Go look at him break down film. And he was actually breaking down film from Georgia when they played Florida a couple of seasons ago, albeit it was the 2020 game when we beat them, actually. But just the way he talks about and breaks down film, it's so easy to understand, but it's clear, concise, and, and it definitely very motivating, actually, to listen to. So I could see how he would just captivate a room and uh, and and how he is a rising star because he's been on the coaching staff with Kirby Smart, and he also – was identified by Nick Saban as a defensive coordinator in waiting at Alabama. That's why he was hired to become the linebackers coach. That's why he made a lateral move down to 
a position because he knew he was likely going to become a defense coordinator at Alabama sometime. But now he seemingly has this opportunity to do it now at another SEC school. Yeah, not a lateral move, a step down, a considerable yep. step down from defensive coordinator to linebackers coach. Although when you get the defensive coordinator and waiting tag, it's, you know, I don't know. At Alabama, like, I mean, your yeah. defensive coordinator. You're, you're 30 years old, you're defensive coordinator and waiting and you're coaching uh, five-star linebackers. I mean, I don't know. Right. If, at, 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 I think it's at least a lateral move. and I'm sure the pay probably was about the same. So, uh, you know, he was probably pretty happy to do it. Jeff Scott would be a massive step down from head coach to position coach. Yeah, I don't think he, this is anywhere close to that, but it's true. You, 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 you know, just have that many more bosses, I guess. Yeah. But well, – yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's like I said, like the only way you get a guy like Jeff Scott is if you give him a good title, and that might be play calling duties. I just don't think he wants it in either way. Uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I my, my guess is that he just doesn't have any interest in it. Jawan Sider strikes me as another one that just doesn't seem likely. I think if if Jabbar Jaluk were to move on, then you target him for the running backs coach. I think that's what he wants to do. I don't think you're going to get him as tight ends coach. And we saw what happened when Dan Mullen tried to move him to tight ends coach. He left immediately. And I don't think he's going to want receivers coach for that same reason. I think his heart lies with the running backs. If he's going to take another position, it would be a step up as the offensive coordinator, which maybe, but uh, I, I would say Florida needs a, a great recruiter and they need a great offensive mind for those, those two spots on the offense defensively. Uh, I mean, it seems like we got our guy there, but um, if, if it's not Austin, Austin, I'm sure I want someone like him. I want a young, hungry you know, very, very, very hot commodity in the coaching ranks, the way that Armstrong was. If it's so, if it's not him, I want someone with a similar profile to him, but we'll see, man. I mean, it's, it's not fun that we have to talk about this in late February. The calendar is going to turn to March very soon. And we don't know who our, we don't know who three of our coaches are going to be for spring practice. So that's not good, but you know, it is what it is. Napier is going to do what, what he can do to, to fill his staff out as best he can. And, all we can do is just sit back and root for them to pan out. Absolutely. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcast. Definitely would appreciate that. Shout out to our new YouTube channel, the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. We're going to start pumping out more content there. Uh, in All Kinds of Weather is still a bit in a transitional phase right now, but most of our content will be available there as well as on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts and Anchor and all those other platforms that y'all have probably been listening to this podcast to before. Uh, but just go ahead, give us a subscription on the new YouTube channel. We would definitely appreciate that as well. Chris, um, hopefully we got some, some good hires, some good news to talk about soon. But um, until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and go Gators. Go Gators.